0: Well, hello and welcome to Virtual Team Dynamics, the Ulfire podcast. My name is Francis Norman. I'm the founder and principal consultant here at Ulfire. At Allfire, we specialize in helping you get the most from your virtual teams through understanding how your team members communicate and interact. This is episode number 35, and today we're going to be talking about something a little different. So rather than a specific focus on facets of virtual teams, for this episode we're going to be talking a little bit about um, why individuals and organisations have so much trouble conceptualising asymmetric risks, um, with particularly within the project environment. And how, among other things, this difficulty impacts on an organization's ability to effectively run a virtual team as with all of our podcasts there is an accompanying blog article on the Ulfire website so please do check it out for additional information and while you're there subscribe to our regular newsletter subscribe to the podcast if you find this interesting and generally find out a bit more about how we may be able to help your business So, as a species, we as humans really have not evolved well in terms of conceptualizing risks that are not, let's say, just the standard risks to our well-being, to our health and potentially to our financial well-being in the modern world. Most of our risk development has been very, very much in the binary way. Something will kill us or it won't kill us. It will do us harm or it won't do us harm. On the opportunity side it's something which we want or we don't want. So we tend to look at things in the risk scenarios as either being positive or negative, being easy to control or being scary that we need to avoid. But we tend to find it really difficult to conceptualise risks where one side may be a small benefit opportunity but the other side could be an enormous risk and that difference between the small benefit versus the enormous risk or on occasions the large benefit versus very small risk uh, is what is where asymmetrical risks come into uh, come into all of this so an asymmetrical risk is very very much it's something where where you have a situation where um, if you 're able to control the risk, the opportunity that you may save the opportunity that you may exploit through that control could be very small so if for and oh and of course the downside could be enormous so for instance if you're if you 're buying uh, something and the typical cost for that unit is a thousand dollars, you may find for a project that um, that you might be able to save a few dollars here and there. But realistically, the chances of you actually being able to save a whole thousand dollars is very, very, very small. Conversely, though, the chances that that price could go well above a thousand dollars if lots and lots of people want to buy similar project pod products, then your chances of of the downside being that that unit becomes far more expensive are much higher than your chances of a saving. Similarly, if you're looking at the duration of tasks, something that might take, let's say it might take a month to do a particular piece of work, but you find that um, you you believe that you might be able to save a couple of days, but saving that couple of days is all that is actually humanly possible. But the alternate on the asymmetrical side, is that that same task might go from taking one month to taking several weeks more, several days more, or even several months more. So the downside associated with that particular risk is very, very much larger than the upside associated with that particular risk. So it's a a situation where you might save a very small amount, but you could lose a very, very large amount. Now, what happens there, of course, and because we are so bad at conceptualising these risks, we tend as humans to assume okay, back to the one thousand dollar option, we might save a thousand we might we might save a hundred dollars on our thousand dollars, bit tongue tied today, we might save a hundred dollars on our thousand dollars, and we might exceed our thousand dollars by a hundred dollars. That is a fairly normal distribution, so you've got the typical bell curve. Where the thousand dollars is the mean, um, you might spend nine hundred if you can get a good saving. You might spend eleven $1, hundred if you can't. Whereas the real reality could be you might have a thousand dollars as the norm. You might save a hundred dollars if you can buy it for nine hundred, but it could cost you one thousand five hundred dollars. So you've got a four or a five to one ratio between savings and uh, exposure to to uh, negative risk. So these these issues then become, um, because they are so hard to conceptualise, they tend not to be codified in estimates. They tend not to be considered as well in the planning process. So someone who's planning for costs for a project might well assume, okay, we've got a plus or minus 10% cost variation on everything that we're going to buy, where in reality it should be a minus 10% plus 30% or 40%. That then builds a much more realistic cost profile. Similarly for scheduling if you can save one day on a one week task the alternate may be that you might lose a week on that same task. So you go there where you've got a one week task which is five days so it varies then between four days and ten days if ten days is the longest it could possibly take. Again it's not it's not a, an evenly balanced risk, it's an asymmetrical risk. And again, it's very, very common that those sorts of things don't get allowed for in estimates. Now, there is a process that you can run that will that will work through these, and that's called Monte Carlo analysis. But again, you have to put in the right span of variables. You have to put your small one side large, the other side, you have to work out how it's going to be so that it can do the calculations for you. But normally, most people don't do that kind of work. Normally, they just look at a risk and say, oh yeah, plus or minus 10%, plus or minus 5% and so forth. Now, where this starts to then become quite awkward and quite difficult and quite costly within a project scenario is that you build up your entire estimate based on your perception of risk as being a linear plus or minus 10% or whatever whatever you choose to use. You then present that to your management group and your management group would look at it and the norm with these is that your management always believes that they can do the job quicker and that the job itself will come out as being less expensive. So they'll often say to people who propose a project to them, you can have this job if you can do it 10% quicker and for 10% less. Now, if you've done your estimate based on a linear plus and minus 10%, when they take 10% off, assuming that what you present is the worst case scenario based on your estimates, you're then back to your, you're essentially then back to the norm numbers that you've used all the way through. Whereas if you use estimates where you have gone with the minus 10 plus 30, minus 10 plus 25, or whatever the figures are, take a 10% off there, you're actually taking less off the project that's at risk. You're also making it far, far, far more likely that you'll be able to achieve the actual forecast outcomes and you'll have a far more realistic thing. But in the normal situation where you lose that 10%, which is the 10% float that you had on the end of your estimate, your management then have essentially taken away all of the float that you had in your job. All of your budget float, all of your man hour float, everything has gone away. Now where that starts to get very difficult for virtual teams is that the virtual teams then come under a lot of pressure. Your people right across the project will come under a lot of pressure and they'll try and cull and cut and control the labour spend on a job far more often than they will try and spend on the Um, capital expenditure you cannot avoid capital expenditure if you're buying something you have to buy that thing whereas if you believe that you can reduce your costs a little bit the areas that get pruned typically are in the labour costs so you look for places where you can do the work cheaper you look for um, ways where you can do it with less effort so you cut down on both the number of hours being expended and the cost per hour in a way of trying to save money. You also cut down on travel costs. You also cut down on the technology that you're going to spend your money on so people can communicate better. And all of those things have been proven over time to be the things that help to build an effective virtual team. So where, if you're doing the work in one location, travel is is very, very small in terms of normal costs. If you're doing your work in multiple locations, travel gets expensive likewise communication technology if you have to buy and install several several large scale video conference platforms they become very expensive if you that doesn't apply if you're working in a single location so the things that tend to get cut out of expenditure on these projects are the things that are there mostly to help virtual teams be effective so you're actually disproportionately penalizing the effectiveness and efficiency of your virtual team if you finish your estimating process with an estimate which is below where you need to be. Um, so that's the that's the gist of this, uh, this article and this podcast this week. Um, I hope that it made sense to start with and I hope that there's been something in there that's been useful and of interest to you. Um, if there has, then please do feel free to leave a bit of feedback for us. And of course, if there's, if you've got observations, if you've got thoughts and comments, then we love to hear from our uh, from our listeners and from our readers as well. So thank you very much for your attention, and look forward to speaking to you in the future. Bye bye.